everybody, welcome to Community This Weekend. Uh, I'm so glad that you are able to join us. And whether you're sitting in your pajamas or you are fully clothed, ready to go for your day, whenever or wherever you're watching this, just thanks for staying connected. It means the world to us, and hopefully it's a help to you too. Uh, I want to remind you, you can go on Version or the Bible app, go to the live events, find community, and right there you can actually... Uh, fill in your communication card. Let us know that you're watching. Let us know that you're still engaged. Let us know if you have questions or even decisions. If you have a, a decision, you, you want to follow Jesus or you have some questions about that, please mark it on there and someone will be able to get a hold of you that way. So I just want to say thanks again for being a part of this with us. We are in uh, week four of a five-week series called Cool Heads in Crazy Times. And let's just admit, these are crazy times right now, right? It's not just Life in, uh, generally is crazy. We, we've added some different dimensions with this pandemic and all the other things that have been happening that go, uh, go along with that, right? So what I want to do today is I want to kind of continue to lean into this idea. It's not just so much of, of being calm in the craziness, but it's actually figuring out how to be proactive instead of reactive in the craziness. So the cool heads are, are heads that are, are thinking through the mission. How can we, we push the mission further um, in the midst of the craziness? And, and there are opportunities that are rising up around us because things are different, because things are unusual, because maybe people's... Uh, People's cheese has been moved. I don't know if you ever read that book, but the idea is like people don't like change. And so maybe because there's so much change going on, maybe, maybe your friends or maybe even your relatives, your family are going to have questions about what really matters in life. And the cool thing is we have some answers for that because of Jesus. I was reading recently about businesses starting up and I found out that about a million businesses uh, are launched in America. But out of that, I mean, not a billion, a million, um, one million businesses are launched. Out of that one million, for every one million, about half of those uh, fail within the very first year. Well, actually, it's worse than that. It's like 80% of those, right? Uh, so it's like 50% fail the very first year. And then within the next five years, th another 80% fail. And, and if you kind of do the math of what they say, because after the first five years, 80%, and then after the next five years, then there's more. When it comes down to it, here's the bottom line. No matter how you do the math and no matter how much I, I mess this up, if, if you start with a million businesses launched in America, about 40,000 of those make it. Yeah, only 40,000 out of 1 million businesses that are launched. You know, businesses launched by dreams and, and maybe uh, all kinds of attention to detail and, and hard work and effort, but only 40,000 of those make it. I've been thinking about that a lot because the reality is it, it's true in businesses. It's also true in churches. The statistics are pretty similar when it comes to churches that are started within the first year. Most of them don't make it. And maybe you're thinking, uh, well, does this apply to other areas as well? Yeah, how about marriages? A lot of marriages don't make it. What, what about simple things like, you know, exercise? You know, I called up my friend. We're going to run every day together. And then it doesn't happen. Or I'm going to read my Bible every day. Great idea. Great dream. Great plan. And then you're three or four days into it, and you've already missed six months, right? So how, how does this work? Well, the what, what, what really makes the difference is what we're looking at today. And the idea is perseverance. There's a lot of ways to say that. Maybe, maybe the best way is just 
these people don't quit. That the people who keep a business going, keep a church going, keep a marriage going, keep running and getting ready for that marathon and keep reading their Bible, the, the ones who keep it going, no matter how well-intentioned the goal was in the beginning, the ones who keep it going, they just don't quit. And there's something powerful about that that we're going to see as we get into 2 Corinthians again today. Before we get to chapter 4, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, here, here's the verse we began this with that we're going to keep going to every week. He says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are very bold. In other words, we're going to be change makers. God has called us in these crazy times to be change makers. And we're going to be bold, not, not obnoxious, not rude, but we're going to be bold and confident because, because of what God has done, what he's up to in us, and what he can do through us. So one of my really good friends is pastor over at Eastside in, in Anaheim. His name is Gene Apple. And he tweeted this week something that was really profound. I want you to check this out. I believe Satan is using politics racism, and a pandemic to divide us from one another, which raises the question of the day. And here it is. When did it become okay to hate? You know, so we're, we're talking about perseverance. We're talking about hanging in there. We're talking about not quitting. And I'm going to tell you, with everything that is going on, it is so easy to get sucked into the cynicism, sucked into the criticism and, and it's easy to just sit back and point fingers at, at everyone who's doing everything wrong. But so it's harder, though, to come up with solutions. It's, it's harder to, to, to lock arms and to keep going even when things are difficult. We, we don't have permission to hate. So don't get sucked into that vortex. There's a guy named Paul Stoltz who wrote a book called Adversity Quotient turning obstacles into opportunities. And basically he says this, for, for years and years and years, for generations, we've, we've measured people's possibility based on their IQ. And their IQ is about intelligence. And it's, it's with tests, you can figure out what your IQ actually is. The, the problem with that test is there are very, very, very smart people like Ted Krasinski, the Unabomber, who uh, would you would say, you know, com complete failures in life. If, if our IQ is not the most important thing, and by the way, you can't really adjust that a whole lot, our AQ is actually really important. And he says our AQ is our adversity quotient. And successful people really have this down. They, they have this adversity quotient. And then the Apostle Paul had this adversity quotient. And the idea is this simply, they, they refuse to quit. According to Paul Stoltz, he says, while you can't do much to improve your IQ, you can dramatically improve your AQ. You can enhance your ability to conquer adversity. And while I like what he had to say about that, I really like what the Apostle Paul has to say about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be reading from verse 8 to 18 and just kind of working our way through these verses. There's so much here. It's rich. It's thick with what he is trying to tell us and explain to us about this idea of perseverance and, and never giving up what is the, the good cause of Christ in our life. Uh, more than likely, I'm talking to somebody right now who is thinking about giving up. It could be uh, you're just done at work. It could be you're struggling in a marriage. It could be uh, whatever, right? There's all kinds of things that we could just be like, I'm, I'm done. But if it's the right thing, if it's the good thing, I want to encourage you today, don't give up. And so I want you to write this down for number one. I mean, in order to, to truly persevere, I must get 
back up. You know, we're going to be knocked down. We're going to have our difficult situations, but we've got to get back up. So let's read verse 8 and verse 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Here we go. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I love the kind of poetic phrasing that he uses to get this out here. And I went this week and I was looking at like the, the original text, you know, that the way these words are, are put together, the, the way they're structured. But, but I, I love this, this word hard pressed. And really what it means is that there is just absolutely nowhere else to go. I'm, I'm under pressure everywhere I go. Have you ever felt like I'm under pressure at home? I'm under pressure at work. I'm under pressure everywhere. I can't get away from it. Every place I feel like I'm stuck. And there's pressure. He says, but we're not crushed. And some people think in order to escape the pressure, I've got to change jobs or I've got to change wives, right? But that's not always the answer. Sometimes the answer is just simply just get back up. He says, we're perplexed. There, there, there was a lot to that word, but I just want to give you this idea. It's like we are perplexed. We're at a mental loss for what to do about this situation. Like I, I have felt this way multiple times this year. I don't know, you probably have too, right? What are we gonna do about this? How, how is this gonna work? Some of you are still struggling, you know, um, another week, week and a half, two weeks into this new school and you're thinking, how does this work? We're, we're at home, but it feels like we just don't have the, the answers we need right now. We're at a mental loss. I don't know, you're, you're watching this, you know, on your TV or on your computer or your phone. Like, man, if, you're, if you just feel that way sometimes, like, you just, yep, uh, mental, uh, mental loss. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good description. Like, I have no idea what to do next. Or maybe if you're watching with friends, just everybody point at the person right now who's the most mentally lost, right? Yeah, go ahead and do that. This is what it says in the Living Bible. It's not on the screen or anything. He just says in verse 9, we get knocked down, but we get up again and get going. The Apostle Paul himself, remember we were talking about that adversity quotient? He, he had this. And I want to encourage you to make a note of 2 Corinthians. We're in 2 Corinthians, but chapter 11. And the last half of that chapter, about verse 23 down to verse 28, is a list of all the the difficult things that Paul was going through. Now, while he writes here, hey, I've, you know, I've been hard pressed and I've, I've been perplexed. You know, I've, I've, I'm going through this stuff. There's a list of it in 2 Corinthians 11. And we're talking like shipwrecks and beatings and left for dead and being stoned. And by the way, no, that's not what you think. It's like with rocks, they're trying to kill him. In fact, I love it when you read through the book of Acts. So many times what happens is he's beaten. He's, he's, he's stoned, left for dead. And he gets back up and he goes back into town and he keeps talking about Jesus. He gets back up. That's what the apostle Paul does. Now, there are some interesting words in that verse, but the most important word I didn't find in some Greek study. The most important word really jumped out to me when I kept reading those verses. I've read them so many times, but I just kept reading them. And the word that really jumped out to me this time was but. Yeah, we, we, we typically use the word in a way to uh, preface a negative statement. Let me give you some examples. It's a nice day, but it'll probably get pretty hot. I, I like the church service, but the music just wasn't my cup of tea. I believe in God, but I don't understand how we could let this happen. I like Pastor Jeremy, but 
<laughs> you fill in the blank. Hey, the New Testament writers often use the word but to actually precede a positive statement. Like, we're going to get back. This is what's happened, but we're going to do this. The church was persecuted, but those who were scattered preached the word of God. James was beheaded, but the word of God increased. Peter was in prison, but the church got together and they prayed. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So I'm going to go back to verses 8 and 9 one more time. And this time I want to emphasize our big word. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Like, you might be down right now, but that doesn't mean you're out. You may be sick right now. And you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed. And it doesn't seem like God is showing up, but he's still involved in your life right now. You may be struggling in a relationship, but God can do something really amazing through you if you let him. You know, on and on we could go. It's like, I've been a horrible parent, but I might get grandkids and I can try again. I messed up that first marriage, but with God's help, this one can be different. You see where we're going? That, that word but can be the, the transition between getting ready to just to let go and quit and, and, and instead getting back up with God's help. Proverbs 24, 16 says this in CEV version. It says, even if good people fall seven times, they will get back up. You may be down right now, but you don't have to stay there. Get back up. Number two, write this down. In order to persevere, I must be expendable. I must be expendable. Now, I'm going to say something, and probably every narcissist in our church is going to leave the church and go find another church. But for those of you who are narcissists, just in case you know you are, it's really not all about you. The universe doesn't revolve around you. The mission isn't all about you. Like we are expendable. And that's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. Listen to this. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Now, I'm going to just stop and just say that's a little confusing. Yeah, it, it takes me a few times to read this to really get it. But I think what he's saying is simply something we said last week. There is this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure is the gospel message of Jesus. It's, it's the hope that we have. It's the peace that we have. It's the reconciliation that we get to have with God because of Jesus. That message he places in us, very imperfect people. But because he died, it says, we get to live. Because of his death, his burial, his, his resurrection, we have hope. And then we get to take this message of hope to other people, even though we're, we're messed up. And even though we're, we're cracked and we're we're, we're jars of clay that have made our own share of mistakes. But he's still able to shine through us. Think of it this way. If Superman came along and he says, in order to be a Christ follower, just follow me. And all of a sudden he's just like up off the ground and he just starts floating across the room. You're like, 
<laughs> that's great, but I can't do that, right? And maybe you felt a little like that when we, when we go through the word of God, like this is what God wants for us. And you're like, I can't do that. Well, what he asks us to do, we, we can do with his help. It's not like a, a Superman kind of a leap here. This is by his grace and with his spirit and with his power, we, we can live a life that, that allows us to shine like we talked about last week so other people can find him. Paul just considered himself expendable in the midst of it. He knew that the mission was made more important than him. He says, you know, if I'm in trouble, that's all right. It helps people see Christ in me. If I'm beat up, left for dead, that's okay. People get to see Christ live through me. If, if they take my life, if they kill me, that's okay. I'll get to be with heaven. I'll get to be in heaven with Jesus. He considered himself secondary to the mission. And we were thinking, well, that's, that's good for him. I mean, after all, he was an apostle. But what about us not uh, super committed kind of Christians? Well, this is what Jesus said in Matthew 16. For all of us who, who want to follow Jesus, this is what he says in verse 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever, not just super Christians, not just apostles, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself or de deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Uh, let me tell you, a, a way to describe a person who gets this, uh, a, the way to describe a person who is absolutely ready to say, my life is not as important as the mission, is, is that person's dangerous. That, that person can make a difference. That person's putting the mission first. I'm going to tell you, over the years, Michelle and I prayed, and we, we tried to see everything that we have as, as, as it belongs to God, and it's available for the mission. If he wants it, he can have it. So there's been times in our life where we gave way more than we thought was ever reasonable. But God continued to work and, and move through us. I've bitten off more than I can chew on some projects time-wise. Like, I don't even know how I'm going to get this all done. I mean, there, there was one season back in 1995, so, so long ago, but it, that, that year taught me that even though when things are completely falling apart and we don't know what's going to happen, we don't know how God's going to rescue us next week, he always did. And the church began to thrive again. I remember taking risks and, and trying big things for God. And at times I would say, there's been times I've been a dangerous person, a, a follower who understands it's not about me, it's about the mission. And I want to make sure I don't, I don't lose that. I don't want to get too comfortable. I don't want to make security the, the primary prayer and, and primary objective. I, I don't want to be so concerned about that. I don't, I don't want to live my life in neutral and just coast and go through the motions. I, I want to be dangerous for God. And I want our church to be a dangerous church so that this community has a chance to hear who Jesus is. It's going to take risks. It's going to take us doing things beyond what's comfortable for us. One of, one of my favorite quotes from years back was something like this. In order to reach people that no one's reaching, we've got to be willing to do things that no one's doing. And the reason no one's doing them is because they're hard and they're difficult and they require risk. But that's the kind of a dangerous person God is calling us to be. That's the kind of dangerous church he's calling us to be. We only get that when we understand that we're expendable. And the mission is the most important thing. Number three, in order to persevere, I must say 
what I believe. I, I must say it out loud. There, there is power in this, and I, I don't want you to miss this. But if you talk to someone long enough, their, their beliefs are going to come out. But I'm really talking about just like for you, vocalizing what you believe in a way to kind of like bring that courage back to your heart. And if you're, if you're ready to quit, if you're ready to fit, just say what you believe again. And that's what the Apostle Paul does. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13 and 14, he says, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. So this is what I believe. This is what I believe. Uh, I was reminded of this this week just because of something I saw. But I remember being a little kid and, and struggling sometimes to eat what was on the plate. It wasn't my favorite thing. I didn't want it. I wanted to hide it. I wanted to push it. I wanted to make it look smaller, maybe put my napkin over the edge and cover up some of it. But my parents were, were too smart for that, right? And so they would like dangle a little reward at the end of the meal. You know, if, if you'll finish your whole plate, then you can have a cookie, you can have a brownie, you can have ice cream or whatever it was, right? Or, or the, the, the downside of it was also, they would pull this one on me. If you don't eat it in the next five minutes, we're putting more on your plate. Ah! Now I was bullheaded enough to sit there for hours, but I didn't want to sit there for hours. I wanted to go play. And so knowing that there was actually a cookie at the other end of this or some, some ice cream or something, it's like, okay, I can, I can eat these Brussels sprouts. Ooh. I don't know. For you, I still, every now and then I try them because I hear they're so good for you and I just can't do it. I, just, I don't like them, right? And maybe you have those things you don't like. In life, there's stuff that happens that we don't like, but the, the, the beauty of it is God says, hey, this life is not all there is. I got something way better for you. Look at, look at verse 15. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. I believe Paul had made him, Oh, I, I, the belief Paul had truly made him confident and able to do some of the most amazing things. You know, and if you are a school teacher during this time, it's a difficult time. I'm just going to tell you, you might think, you know, my, my patience has gone. Maybe, maybe you are, maybe you're not technologically savvy. Maybe this is, maybe this isn't difficult, but, but you know, it's frustrating and not everybody's happy and it's tough. but God believes you can continue to make a difference in those kids' lives. Maybe you're a wife and you're just like, yeah, but you don't know my husband. He just doesn't care. All he cares about is work. We just, we're like roommates in the same house. He's not like mean to me, just nothing. And don't, don't give up. Don't give up. You can go through the list of all the scenarios of, of people who might be looking to, to give up. And, and every, for everyone, I'll just say, just keep saying out how what you believe about God what you believe about what he's capable of doing in your life and, and through your life. One of my favorite examples of this, I've shared it over the years, is a lady in our church who was named Debbie Cross. And Debbie passed away with uh, a, a battle with cancer. The last year of her life was pretty rough, and probably the last 10, 11 months, she was mostly restricted to home. And while she had to go to doctor appointments, other than that, she was at home. And she had some, some nurses who would come to her home and check on her. And I remember hearing about this one. And it was uh, a beautiful story of how the nurse was just like, but Debbie, um, they've already told you there's nothing else they can do. How can you still have a smile on your face? And she just said, you know what? My Lord can heal me. 
And if he wants to, that's awesome. If he doesn't do that in this life, I will be healed and I will be with him forever. She said, either way, I win. It's like she spoke out loud what she believed and not only gave her courage, but it actually led some of those nurses to Jesus. You, you and I have opportunities in our life, especially when things are difficult, to, to speak what we believe about God and then allow that, that truth and that confidence that comes from that truth to move us forward. Say what you believe out loud. And one more, number four, in order to persevere, I must stay focused. I must stay focused. The last few verses of this chapter maybe are my favorite personally, but he starts in verse 16. He says, therefore, based on everything else we've said, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's so much stacked into these verses, and I love the phrase he uses, these light and momentary troubles. Again, he's talking about being in prison. He's talking about persecution. He's talking about being beaten. He's talking, and he says, these are light and momentary troubles compared to the eternal glory that God has waiting for us. He says, that's what we focus on. That's what we keep our eyes on. In fact, the phrase is, we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, what is promised. In fact, our hope is not like, a, I, I, I hope, I wish upon a star. It's like, I hope in the one who always keeps his promises. The, the apostle Peter calls it a living hope. It should change the way that we live life now, knowing about the life we get to have with him for eternity. Uh, I don't know if you've been watching any sports now. It's a little weird without the fans. I, I will say this. I think the NBA's done an interesting thing. is They've actually put screens around where people would have been sitting, and literally people who are watching the game have cameras at home, and they're, they're seen in the auditorium, in, in the arena, where the guys are playing basketball. But it's still not the same thing, right? I mean, the game comes down to the wire. It's, it's a, it's a one-point game. A guy has two free throws. He can tie it or he can win it. And it comes right down to the very end, and he's ready, and he's getting ready to shoot. And behind him are fans going crazy. Have you seen this? Like, maybe they all have white socks or shirts. I, I saw one game where the guy's literally, like, up, you know, rolled up this, this huge picture of a girl in a bikini right in sight of, of where he was looking at the goal. But in order to sink those shots, you just got to focus and fix your eyes on the goal. He's saying to us, life is going to hurt. Life is going to be difficult. But these are light and momentary troubles if you fix your eyes on what God is doing for you and preparing for you and getting you ready for, for all of eternity. Again, our, our goal is is to go to heaven and take as many people with us as possible. Now, if our goal is just to acquire more stuff, if our goal is just to have a nice family, if our goal is just to get through COVID without wringing somebody's neck in our house, you know, if our goal, if that's all of our goal, then yeah, we're probably going to be miserable in life because yeah, there's got to be more. And God says there is. I think Paul might be saying to us when we're looking at our bodies wasting away. Remember that phrase he says, our, our bodies are wasting away. And you might have aches and, and pains and things don't work like they used to. And 
hair grows, but not where you want it to. You know, it's like you're, you're going through stuff, right? But the Apostle Paul is just like, no, no, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Fix your eyes on what's coming. This body's wasting away. There are things in this world that are just wasting away. But you focus on the good stuff, on what God has promised, and then that's what we have to hold on to. You know, maybe you've got uh, some serious issues right now. Maybe, maybe the devil, like we talked about last week, is using those issues to distract you and divert your attention. I'm, I'm not going to say that personal problems aren't a big deal. They are. But we've got to be able to keep our focus on Jesus. Over and over in the New Testament, he gives us this idea, like, you know, fix our, our minds on things about, fix our eyes, our focus on him. Fix our eyes on Jesus. It says in the book of Hebrews, he's the author and the, the perfecter of our faith. That's where we have to look. That's where we have to, to keep our, 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 our stare, our focus. I'm going to go back to 2 Corinthians 4 one more time. I'm going to read out the message, verse 17. I just like it. It's just fresh. He says, these are hard times. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. And there, there's going to be a day, there's going to be a day when we don't have to eat Brussels sprouts anymore, right? And we're going to be in the presence of God. Keep your focus there. And what I want to do today specifically as I pray is I want to pray for those of you who are going through some rough stuff. You know, honestly, I've talked to people who this COVID season, while they haven't come through unscathed, there's been some really good things come out of it. They're actually doing really well. And it's good to hear those stories. But I know that so many have been struggling. And whether you've struggled with recovery because of, you know, how much more difficult this has been, you struggled in your marriage and your family just because of how tightly knit, packed in everybody is right now. And, and you had kind of a rhythm before and this messed it all up. You know, whatever those problems, it could be financial problems. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I just know that some of you are just like, you're, you're ready to give up in some area. So let me pray for you. God, right now we want to pray. We want to ask you to do what only you can do in these situations. God, I don't need to know all of them individually. You do. You know by name who's listening right now, who needs this right now. And we ask God that you would help them. But God, also, I know that the answer is not just trying harder. I know the answer is you. It's Jesus. And if someone listening doesn't have that relationship with you, God, I pray that you would help them right now. Let them see you as you are, arms wide open, ready to welcome them into a relationship with you. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter how much they've blown it. They can come to you. God, thank you for a church family where we can come and we can connect and we can learn and we can grow. We can ask our questions and we can get help and we can work on this together. You never intended for us to do life alone, never. So God, thank you for the family that we call community. And for anyone who's making decisions right now, whether they're uh, sitting at home alone or maybe they're with their family or whatever it is, God, I just pray if they're ready to say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you that they will tell some other people and then they will tell us too. Thank you, God, for being with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.